What difference does it make yeah. if entire cultures disappear? Mm-mm. Right front tire exploded just as I turned down into turn one. They are invisible. And what the church says is what we want to live by. What y'all doing in heaven today? Uh, helping people build agency. Helping people take control of their lives. And now I got it. Now I know what to do. Anytime it happens in the future, I got the tool. The sounds and voices of the South create a rich and tangled mixture, flirting with and pushing against ideas of the past. Knowing the South today and conceiving Southern futures is about listening to people shaped by and shaping places in the present. Southern futures reimagine the American South. Welcome to Southern Futures. I'm your host, Melody Hunter-Pillion. Today we're talking archives, music in the archives as a soundtrack for our history. These preserved stories of the South help us contextualize our current moment. Issues we confront today link back to those stories. At UNC, scholars believe those archive narratives, often very local, allow communities to create solutions. Our guest for this episode, Steve Weiss, preserves and shares stories. Before joining UNC, Steve applied his archival expertise at CNN News and the National Archives. He's currently the curator of the Southern Folklife Collection at UNC's Wilson Special Collections Library. It's one of the world's foremost special collections for the study of Southern music, art, and culture. Hello, Steve. Thank you for joining us. What does music tell us about ourselves and what does music do for us? Hi, Melody. Thanks for having me. You know, music always gives us a, a community, uh, a place to gather, but also it's just, you know, the, the music that we love, it really just sort of resonates in our soul. So it, it nurtures us in so many ways. You know, it gives us comfort. It gives us energy. It relaxes us. It riles us up. It makes us think about important stuff going on in the world. You know, and on a professional level, you know, I'm always surrounded about music, and that's really been a, a real blessing in my life. Well, who do you keep returning to, Steve, during this COVID quarantine? Share your playlist with us. I've really sort of returned back to things that just, just sort of give me comfort in uncertain times. Right. Uh, so favorite musicians, you know, music from different decades, which remind me of like different times, better times. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been doing for a few years, which has just kind of been a personal project, has been really going year by year to understand music in all kind of popular genres that intersect. And by doing so in a year by year basis and, you know, really investigating all the songs that came out in that particular year, it allows you to understand a chronology in terms of what influenced something else. You know, I made these playlists basically for my own enjoyment and education that were about, you know, the 90s or the 80s. So it just kind of reminds me of who I was at the time, being in college, meeting my wife, all those kinds of experiences that were just, you know, just huge in my life. And so just Mm -hmm. a lot of really good memories. But I mean, let's see, who are some of the artists that I'm seeing here? Uh, Well, let's see, Natalie Merchant, Cocteau Twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew Sweet, Lur, the Jayhawks, you know, the Beastie Boys, Prince. Of course. 
Public Wait, Enemy. Prince. Yes. Yeah, Missy Elliott. Yes. Uh, you know, Pulp. I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, some of this stuff was stuff I was really into at the time, but the great thing about revisiting it is I've been discovering some stuff that I wasn't really familiar with at the time, which now I go back to and I'm just totally amazed by. So blues, bluegrass, country, all of those created in the South. What would you, what is Southern music? Well, I think Southern music is probably the most unique part of American music. And that's the, that's the part that really sort of caught fire and became sort of a global phenomenon in terms of the enjoyment of American music, which you can find, you know, in Europe and in, in Asia, all over the world, everyone seems to love really, you know, uh, you know, those vernacular musics that come from the South. And, you know, I think of Southern music as that unique combination of cultures coming in contact with each other through Native people, through slavery, through immigration. All these sort of unique elements came together here in America and birthed, I would say, you know, the blues first and then into jazz, into popular music, you know, it just, there's like an explosion of different, you know, uh, you know, as the commercial industry came along, it all became sort of genres in terms of, now we think of it as blues and bluegrass and country and Cajun and Zydeco and gospel and folk and old time music and rock and roll and rockabilly and Southern hip hop. All these kinds of things are, you know, are part of this. Uh, and I think that's the part that just sort of like, you know, really caught fire in a national way and an international way. You're from Maryland. Is that right? I grew up in western Maryland in a, in a small town called Cumberland, which is in the Appalachians. My dad was really into country music. But I mean, my family, you know, immigrated to the United States in the in the mid 60s from Cuba. So I heard a lot of music, you know, just in the home that wasn't really native to the region. So, you know, I'd hear a lot of zarzuelas, I'd hear a lot of flamenco music. What else? Uh, Santeria. My dad had like a field recording of Santeria. So we used to, I, I really enjoyed listening to that uh, when I was a kid. Uh, my sisters were into the Beatles. And so, you know, that was a big influence <laughs> on me. This has always been a place of diversity. It might not have always been portrayed as that type of place, but the music reveals that this has always been a place of diversity. Steve, I want to talk about music as this form of mourning during the COVID crisis. When I was starting to realize the enormity of it, of the situation, was losing John Prine. I mean, John had been sick from cancer for a number of years and rallied through it and uh, done a lot of really successful work and was really beloved by the community as a songwriter. I mean, originally he's a uh, he's from Illinois, but he was one of the most influential songwriters on American country music. 
and he has so many beloved, you know, really uh, songs that are extremely powerful on a, a lot of different levels. I mean, songs like Angel from Montgomery and Sam Stone, a song about a Vietnam vet. But the song that really hit me and the one that I've been thinking about a lot uh, for a number of different reasons is the song Paradise, uh, which also, like those other songs I mentioned, appears on his on his uh, debut album from 1971 that's on Atlantic Records. The last verse really gets me uh, for a number of different reasons, but, well, I'll just read it. You know, when I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky where my parents were born, and there's a backwards old town that's often remembered so many times that my memories are worn. And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County, down by the Green River where paradise lay? Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away. Well, sometimes we travel right down the Green River to the abandoned old prison down by Erdy Hill, where the air smelled like snakes and we'd shoot with our pistols, but empty pop bottles was all that we would kill. And then he sings the chorus again. Uh, Then the coal company came with the world's largest shovel and they tortured the timber and they stripped all the land. Well, they dug for their coal till the land was forsaken and they wrote it all down as the progress of man. When I die, let my ashes flow down the green river. Let my soul roll on up to the Rochester Dan. I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise waiting, just five miles away from wherever I am. And daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County down by the green river where paradise lay? Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away. So, yeah, incredible song. And it makes me think about a lot of different things. It's a place that I always go back to in my mind, as everybody, I think, does with their hometown mm-hmm. to, to a certain degree. But yeah, so there's a really strong message in this song about the environment, even though it's done in a very subtle way. It's not a, as what Bob Dylan used to refer to, a finger-pointing song. Right. It's a really gentle song that's really, uh, that he wrote for his father. And, you know, uh, when John died, you know, the family wasn't able to have a uh, memorial service because because of COVID and the social distancing required. And it was so early into, you know, what was happening in COVID. And, you know, I think a lot of people are sort of creating ways to acknowledge and have some kind of ritual uh, where traditional rituals don't, you know, can't happen. I mean, sadly, this is um, a time that's so filled with with death and mourning. I mean, those moments always really make you go back and reflect on a lot of the musicians who have passed away. And that's part of the mourning process is like, for example, you know, um, the drummer Jimmy Cobb died the other day, not necessarily of COVID, but, you know, um, it made me really think about Miles Davis's quintet and kind of blue and spending some time with those recordings and just putting them on and being reminded of just what an amazing band that was. Uh, What a a high level of communication uh, between the musicians. What an amazing time that was, you know, the the end of the 50s, the beginning of the 60s and uh, how jazz was changing. Uh, Music is occupying a virtual space um, and we're sharing music virtually. So are people still able to conduct research, though, 
in the archives, given the current COVID crisis? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, the library, even though, you know, our building is closed, we're off campus, the librarians are still busy working, We're, we're open for research. We have lots and lots of material that's digitized, uh, and online. So we're there to help and support research. Uh, you know, with the Southern Folklife Collection alone, we've got close to about 50,000 uh, streaming audiovisual files that are available online. That's a lot so, of digitizing of files. It's a lot. It's a lot of work to do that. It is. It is. I mean, we've been at it for a really long time, and uh, we've been really grateful to get uh, support from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, which has allowed us to sort of kick our audiovisual digitization into a very high gear. Uh, we're mm-hmm. digitizing not only the AV holdings of the Southern Folklife Collection, but the other special collections in Wilson Library. And we're also working with partners across the state to digitize their holdings as well. So we're working with other institutions like UNC Pembroke, mm-hmm. uh, Forest History um, Center, and uh, UNC Asheville. You know, it's, it's just great. And it's really great to see this material get out there to the public. These materials are available to everyone. So if you're interested in searching the archives, visit library.unc.edu or email Steve and his colleagues at wilsonlibrary at unc.edu. Again, wilsonlibrary at unc.edu. Steve, thank you for being here and for the work you do in preserving and sharing our history. Be sure to join us for our next episode, everyone. The Southern Futures podcast is powered by the Southern Futures Initiative, a new collaboration between the College of Arts and Sciences, UNC Libraries, the Center for the Study of the American South, and other units of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. For executive producer Dr. Melinda Maynor-Lowry, sound editor Mark Meyer, and associate producer Ellie Little, I'm your host, Melody Hunter-Pillion with Southern Futures. Reimagine the American South. (laughs) 